everybody, and welcome back to the Coffee and Convos podcast. This is Kelsey, and I'm here with my friend Alicia. Hi. Alicia and I, how many years have we been friends now? I actually don't know. 20. Okay. So we graduated in 14. We probably what met in 13. So think is, we all got decade? is it, is that right? A decade? Wow. Okay. So we just discovered a pretty big anniversary while <laughs> live on podcast. So that's good. So we've been friends for a decade, which is amazing. Um, Alicia and I met through a mutual friend and we've just developed a really close relationship between each other and then also with our husbands. So the four of us love to get together. We try to get together like once a month and we have an annual staycation that we do as well. And it's always a great time. So thank you, Alicia, for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, just to kind of start things off here, I think Alicia and I came together in a really interesting way. So we did have a mutual friend, but we really only got close. I would say really close 2017, 18 timeframe. Yep. Yeah. I'd say 2018. Cause it was, it'd be after our weddings that we got closer. Yes, that's right. Because I always wish that you were at our wedding. (laughs) Um, so then we started going on our annual staycations in Tampa in 2020. Mm -hmm. We've done that every year since. So Talk to me a little bit about kind of how you think about friendship and connection. I know that you are a super connector and love putting people in touch. And I have a lot of examples of that I want to give, but maybe just start out about what it is about connection that drives you in your personal life and then also in business and friendship. Yeah, um, I think connection and friendships in all of those areas are very different, I think that on a business level and a professional level, I view connection as insanely powerful. I think good people know good people. That's kind of a go-to phrase I always say. And I've just found that to be really true. I think, you know, I mean, I've connected you with some great people. You've connected with me with some great people. And I think when there's good intentions behind it, that there's really powerful things that can happen. Um, And I think that sometimes there's so many people out there that we don't know that are coming at us for business that are not authentic, that when you can connect authentic relationships together, it just really lights a fire under certain things. I love that you layered in the authenticity piece to this because that is super important. I've been working with an executive coach and she's been helping me really define my values Mm -hmm. and connecting authentically is what I named one of my sets of values, because it's not just who's in your network and who can you call on for a favor. It's about that deeper level of connection, which is something I really value about our friendship as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like friendship wise, it's hard because I think you can have too many friends in a sense, and it doesn't make things authentic. Mm -hmm. And so I think friendship is like one of those places that it's hard to have a lot of friendships because it becomes just a lot of acquaintances. Like you can't have a lot of people who you're deeply connected with because that's at our stage of life, just too much work. And so to hold that position, like for both of us, I think right now in our season, like 
we both know what we're going through so much between work and family and just life, but not a lot of other people know about those things because it's just too much to fill other people in. And so I think friendship wise, it's really hard because yes, you can be connected. And I think we do have a lot of friends, but we have a lot of friends in senses of like, we ran a marriage small group for years. And so we have those people, we have that network. We have the network of people that have known since childhood, but like the people who like, I would say sit around my table on a very close level. Like, you know, we host our friend friends giving. And those are kind of like our close people that sit around our table that we invite into our lives to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. And it makes me think about your birthday in December and kind of the small group of people we're going to have to celebrate that. And I love that more intimate setting and I'm starting to love it even more because I've discovered over the last um, three months since my dad passed that my tolerance level for surface level relationships and friendships has gone down even more than it was before. So I already was not fueled by big group gatherings, big um, parties, lots of people. That was never really my scene. It's not what energized me. And now kind of setting new boundaries over the last couple of months, that boundary has gotten even tighter. So I love that when we connect the four of us or the two of us, it's always very intentional and very authentic. And just if it's grabbing a meal, it's not how's jobs, how's ba- how's your baby, how's this, how's that. It's like, no, let's talk for real. How is everything and what are what's going on for real? And I like the last time we're like the world's on fire and Spencer's <laughs> like my husband for the listeners, my husband Spencer, he was just like, you and Kelsey are hilarious. The world is always on fire for you both, and you just throw yourselves into the fire. <laughs> I know when I got that text from you after we left dinner, I was like, I love that. (laughs) Like, I know that everything feels like turmoil right now, but at least we're in turmoil together. (laughs) He's like, he's like, you do it to yourselves. He's like, and you guys are both going to be completely fine, but you're going to be completely fine because you're freaking out about it. I know. Colin gave me a card yesterday to congratulate me on my new job. And he wrote, thanks for bringing me on your epic journey. And I was like, it is an epic journey. It's so up and down. Oh, <laughs> uh, we got great husbands who just go along for the ride and are our anchors to the chaos. I will say when Colin and I, so my other friend, Sammy, who I just did a podcast with, she is like a walking icebreaker. So she constantly just has like great questions in the back of her pocket that she can pull out at any time. And one time when we were chatting in New York, she said, what does Colin bring to your life? Which seems like such a easy question. Love. He's my husband. I love him. He's in my life. And we started talking about how he's very happy, go lucky. He's a connector. He's an extrovert. He's basically the opposite of me in a lot of ways. And when I went home and asked Colin that question, what do I bring to your life? His answer to me was stability. Mm -hmm. And I then went through some pretty, literally the very next day, went through some pretty dramatic changes in my job, which rocked that stability. And now he's like, well, I didn't mean just financial stability and he expanded on it. And I was like, but really you bring the stability in our relationship because he's the one that's like keeping things going in his career and steady and holding down the fort at home while I'm working crazy hours and like doing the household stuff so that it doesn't all fall on me. So it's interesting when you think about it, you think I think of stability and I feel like I value stability, but that's what Colin is in our relationship for sure. 
And, but I think there's also different forms of stability, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you both bring stability to each other in the type of stability that you each need, which is the important part of marriage. Yeah, it definitely is. For sure. Um, I don't remember how we got on that tangent, but connecting authentically, I just, I love that we, when we talk, it's just like, this is how it is. There's no sugarcoating, no spinning, no. (laughs) Oh, so that's important to me in my relationships. Definitely. As I get older. Oh yeah. And the key word there is as we get older. Yes. And as we go through more life changes, like you having Oliver, I'm sure that has changed and shifted so many of your perspectives on life and in the world, or maybe refined them and not change them necessarily. Um, How has that been? Uh, Oh gosh, what is the best word for it? World rocking, flipped everything upside down, changed, (laughs) changed it all. Um, No, it's been good. It's so unique because I think in life, what I've learned is like the best things in life are also the hardest right? Like marriage. Marriage is not easy, but it's also one of the greatest things, right? And it's not easy because you have to intentionally invest in yourself and somebody else endlessly. Mm -hmm. And they also see the best and worst sides of you, right? And so just like marriage is one of the best and hardest things, being a parent is also one of the best and hardest things. And so I found that I think the better something is also the harder it is in a lot of ways as well. Um, and so I think, you know, so many times our culture just hears the bad and when we hear good, it kind of goes out, but the bad sticks with us. Right. And I know like prior to motherhood for me, that was super prevalent. It was like, oh my gosh, all these people complain about their kids and how they get no sleep and how stressful it is. And then they would like say some good things about their kids, which I can't remember. I'm like, all I've heard is people complain about their children. Right. And <laughs> now I'm like, Okay. No, I kind of get this a little bit more. And it's not that like you're, you almost say things so that like you also don't come off as the cocky parent who's like, oh, I have it all together. Like my child sleeps and everybody hates me because my child is wonderful. You're like, no, okay, I'm a part of this with you. Like <laughs> it is also hard. Um, but Oliver is amazing. He is completely life-changing and it's been really weird adding such a monumental thing that will never go away back into your life. Cause there's very few moments where that happens, right? Like the jobs can change if they need to, but like your spouse is somebody, your parents, your siblings, like these are monumental relationships and a child is a monumental relationship that kind of comes in. Um, and it changes who you are. Like you no longer serve yourself. You serve somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I think along the process of postpartum, you kind of have to find yourself too again and like who you are. Right. And he's just so cute. Oh my God. He's so cute. (laughs) So for all the listeners, my child is known as old man Oliver because you know what he's going to look like when he's 40 and 80, but he's also (laughs) a really cute six month old. And he is, I mean, he is bigger than most one-year-olds at the moment via all of his markers. So he's going to be seven months on Sunday and he's in like 12 month old clothing. He is walking and ready or he's crawling. He's ready to walk. And he's just like lightning speed ahead. So we're just trying to keep up. (laughs) I was just looking at photos before we hopped on here and the picture of you, Oliver and I at my dad's celebration of life, which was in March. And he looks so little, little, 
So like, little, now he's giant. Grown like a weed. I'm like, anybody who has a boy, let me know. I've very barely used zero through 12 year old clothing that you can have. That's crazy. <laughs> like it has been wardrobe change after wardrobe change. Yeah. So how has it been just curious? So I don't have kids, so I don't have this perspective at all, but how has your relationship of having a child now changed or impacted how you look at like your relationship as a child with your parents? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, so it's really funny because it makes you think about memories differently Mm -hmm. and like decisions that they made and really opens your eyes. Like we were, we, a topic that's been in my family and in some friendships lately is this old memory of us joining a junior yacht club membership (laughs) when we were in like high school and middle school. And so, you know, Amanda, Amanda and I were probably 15 and 16. She had a car and we abused the hell out of that membership. (laughs) And so my parents were, my parents had me when they were 20. And so my parents got this junior membership because they were like 35, 36 years old. And they only paid $500 to get into the yacht club for the summer. And I didn't realize until recently that it was only a summer membership because we went there for years afterwards. Wow. Because we just assumed we could go and nobody stopped us from going. And so we, every summer, my four boy cousins would come down and then it was me and my two brothers. So I was heavily outweighed by all the boys. (laughs) And my mom would sneak us into this yacht club with, we had a laser tag set and she would unleash us on a yacht club at night that we broke into. And like, we would swim and I was like, did they like thinking back to us? I'm like, did they not have cameras? Like (laughs) what happened? They also during the summer had buy one get or uh, kids eat free. My parents would take all seven of us at a yacht club to eat for free while they ate two meals. And like, I just remember everybody staring at us. And so it's just really funny just thinking about it. Cause like my dad was an entrepreneur. My mom was a stay at home mom. Like it was a very different upbringing. We were homeschooled. Like we were together all the time. Mm -hmm. And so there were just really unique connections, but I think there's so much more like empathy I have toward decisions that they made and like the grit that it took to get to certain places. Um, I definitely think like my relationship with my parents is probably in the best place it's ever been. Like I talk to them daily and they stay with me once a week at the moment. Wow. It's amazing that you have that help though, right there. So close. That's kind of what I thought would happen. I see, like, I see a lot in grief groups uh, for specifically people who have lost a parent in when they're in their twenties or thirties, regardless of how old their parent was. Yeah. A lot of people are having turmoil on whether they should have kids or not, because now they don't have a parent around, or if they have a kid, will that make them feel closer to their parents that are no longer there? Or maybe they're upset because they lost one of their parents and the parent that's still alive doesn't, isn't as involved with their child as the one who's past would have been. So that's been top of mind for me, just as I think about if I'm ever going to have kids. And also now I don't have one of my parents that would be around for that. How having a child impacts your relationship with your parents. Yeah. I think it is really cool though, because generationally, right. I've gotten to see how 
my grandparents respond to, mm-hmm. right? Because I come from Ohio for all the listeners where and I joke that everybody has their first child at like 19, 20 years old. <laughs> and I joke that because that's my family lineage, right? Like my grandmother had my mom, I think she was 19 or 20. My mom had me when she was 20. I did not have a child when I was 20. And so I am like the furthest away from breaking this gap. And even in my friend group, I'm young for having a kid. Yeah, and were- it's so funny because everybody's like, "Oh, you're so young," and I'm like, "I've broken this by a decade, pretty much." Like, yeah. there's a big gap in my family history, but I have really young parents and grandparents in the grand scheme of things. Like a lot, my grandparents are the average age of most of my friends' parents. Yeah, and um, but it's very interesting to watch people actually get to see their lineage extend, and I think that is one really cool thing of watching like my parents interact with Oliver is it's it is still their genetics, right? Like I know your dad passed, but it would be an extension of your dad too that gets to continue to live on, which is a really cool way to still honor your parents at the same time. For sure. I, my parents came from Ohio and I think my mom had my sister when she was 18. So I can, I can, I can back that, that assumption up. <laughs> um, I, but there's also nothing else to do in Ohio besides, and, and I apologize to any listeners who live in Ohio and disagree with this. Uh, but I feel like there's nothing else to do, but have children. Like that's, that's your <laughs> hobby. Sorry. Sorry to any of my family in Ohio that might be listening to this. Uh, all my family in Ohio too. I apologize, but you all also have multiple children. So I don't <laughs> feel like you're helping your story. Yeah. I unfortunately slash fortunately, I'm not sure when people ask where I'm, I was born. I say Ohio because I was technically born in Ohio, but my parents moved me to Florida when I was a baby. Yeah. So I don't really claim Ohio. I, I know. I don't claim it either. I was born there. We moved when I was like four. Noah was six months old. I didn't even apparently remember snow when we moved back. So I'm right. like, count. Right. I hope. I, I said I didn't see snow until I was like in my teens because I didn't remember snow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So that is an amazing perspective to gain. And I love hearing about that and hearing, I'm excited to hear about how things are going to evolve for you as, as Oliver gets older and you are definitely my youngest friend to have kids. I have friends with kids, but they're all older than me. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch Oliver from a little teeny baby all the way up to a teenager and adult. (laughs) It is right. I was reading something that for high achieving moms, motherhood is really hard because there is, and for you, this would probably be very, very true because it's very true for me, but there's no end in sight to the project. Like you don't know until they're an adult, if you did okay or not, and it's ever changing. And so, and there's nobody to tell you, oh, you did a great job. Like here's this. And it's something that you're constantly giving to without any validation. And like for high achievers, like we're running after project, after project, after accomplishment, after accomplishment. And there's like these short-term wins constantly where motherhood is an infinite game. Right. And it's very, very, that has probably been one of the biggest mental adjustments. Yeah. No one can see my face when they listen to this, but I look terrified because just you describing that brought me anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. And I always think like when I read that, I, I don't know if you've ever read Simon Sinek's infinite mindset book, but like that reminded me of that. Cause he talks about how like 
in our culture, we just have all of these short-term games, right? Right. And there's these short-term wins, but life is technically an infinite game. And I like, just like motherhood is literally an infinite game that I can't win and I don't know how to win it. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how to win it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's, and the definition of winning it. What does that mean? Exactly. And you have to create your definition. And then it's also like coming into motherhood, like your energy is now split too. So what my 100% was that I could evaluate myself giving before is no longer my 100% anymore. And so many people are used to my 100%. And it's really weird coming back because there's so much grace in pregnancy that people give you. And they're like, oh, you have a baby, your hormones are shifting. And I'm like, but then you come out of postpartum and they're like, okay, let's go back to normal. And you're like, no, my hormones are still shifting. Like technically it takes two years for a mother to bounce back from like hormonally and mentally from giving birth. And then you also are sleep deprived. Like, so not only do you have the sleep deprivation, you have a new human that you're adjusting to life. You have all these things and then everybody wants your normalcy to go back. And so it's just a lot of resetting boundaries and expectations as well in this season. So I don't know for sure, but I would imagine if I had a kid, I would go through that entire process. The kid would come out and I would be like, okay, this is my number one priority now. This is making sure this human is taken care of is my number one priority and everything else falls secondary or tertiary to that. So how has your time and where you invested and whether that's nominally or spiritually or whatever, how has that shifted? Um, Well, my entire life feels very color coded right now (laughs) from a very controlled type A human. Uh, (laughs) I have like very specific client hours. I have very specific hours and time blocks for leadership and mentoring. I have very specific hours for being a mom, right? Like it is cut off. This is mom time. And I think what's important for me about that is like, it allows me to switch my brain and know that, Hey, like this is, I get to be a mom, like number one priority, nothing else shows up. And then when I am at work, I can be 100% at work and not be apologetic, but also draw those lines to be like, Hey, this is my work time. I don't go past this. And there are a lot of people who don't have kids and don't think about it. And I was one of those before having a kid where I'd be like, Hey, let's take a four thirty, five o'clock meeting, wrap up the day, get this done. We're urgent. And I'm like, if I take a five o'clock meeting right now, I don't see my kid before he goes to bed. Wow. Right. Like people don't realize that babies go to bed once they're like six months to a year old, they go to bed at like seven thirty, seven to eight, like depending on their sleep schedule. And so by the time I pick him up, I bring him home, we get adjusted, he gets dinner, bath time, and then it's bed. And I like, didn't get to play with him. I didn't get to make a connection. I didn't get to be present in his day. Like that's really impactful. And so that's to me, never worth taking an afternoon meeting. Wow. And it's, it's, I love that example because setting a 4.30 meeting seems seems like no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> yep, but for a mom, it's a huge deal because that means that she doesn't get to connect with her child that day. Right. That's amazing. So are you comfortable talking about your journey to getting pregnant? Yeah. Okay. With that. So I would love, I think this is something, so I don't have personal experience with this, obviously. And I think it's something that should be more widely talked about. So I would love for you to share a little bit about what it was like um, when you decided to have a kid, kind of what went through that process and then your journey to getting there. 
Well, when we decided to have a kid, we obviously started trying. And the idea of having a kid is that like you try so hard to not have a kid for so long. And you're like, if I mess up one little tiny moment, I'm going to get pregnant and it's not going to be planned. And oh my God, the world's going to end because I have an unplanned pregnancy. And like, it's just drilled into our brains that it's so easy to get pregnant. And then all of a sudden you get older and you don't realize you're quite old yet, but via (laughs) genetics, apparently you're old and it sucks, but, um, it doesn't get as easy to have a kid when you are, I think it's like the ripple age of 25, it becomes harder to have a kid, which is ridiculous because you're still a baby at 25, but, um, ripple age of 25, it like you, ridiculously go downhill on your reproductive ability. And once you aren't able to conceive after 12 months of trying, you are considered infertile. And that is a pretty big like diagnosis to get. And so I was on the birth control pill for probably like a decade, just because I had so many friends who had unplanned pregnancies. Like my parents technically conceived me before their wedding. Most of my family had (laughs) unplanned pregnancies. And I just was so gun ho on like my goals and like what I wanted in life that I was like, this is never going to happen to me. This is my insurance policy to make sure it never happened. And that kind of bit me in the butt because along the way I developed PCOS and birth control actually hides all of your symptoms for PCOS. And so it's something doctors kind of patch with the birth control pill because it stops all of your symptoms, but your PCOS is actually still festering and growing and becoming a monster inside of you. And then when you come off of the pill, it just roars its ugly head. And so that's kind of what I experienced in the year leading up to us trying was just like not getting pregnant, dealing with all of these symptoms of PCOS, trying to figure out what was going on and what was happening to my body. Um, And so about two years into trying, I hired Britt, who we both mutually know and love. And she just really kind of sat me down and was like, you need a lifestyle change. Like you run on like PCOS, you need to not have a stressful life, which I always joked that I thrived in stress. And I was like, oh my God, my body needs me to change my entire personality. Our our check-in, like our intro calls with Brit were probably identical. Mm-hmm. She probably talked to us and then hung up with both of us and was like, they are the same person. <laughs> when, when you started coaching with Brit, I was like, just to give you a heads up, all of the problems you had with me, you will have with Kelsey. <laughs> and I was like the extreme mindset. I was like, she's going to go through that. I was like the minute that like, she's like all or nothing. I was like, just wait, you're going to get it. And she's like, <laughs> I don't know that she's like, yep, I got it. It's an all or nothing. (laughs) I was like, I told you, I told you. Oh, gotta love her. I love her so much, but she really helped me like reduce my stress levels. She helped me like eat properly. She got all the right nutrients inside of me. And what was phenomenal is like two months later, I was pregnant. Like it wasn't even a long journey to that. It was just, I didn't know how to take care of my body and create a safe environment. And I think that's also what's really interesting during labor is you have to create a safe environment for your body to go into labor. And my own perception of how I treat my body is not safe. 
Mm-hmm. But my husband's presence was safety for me. And so it's really interesting, like the more in tune you get with your body, how like you can actually not be a safe place for yourself. Wow. And I think like through the pregnancy journey, that's kind of what I learned. That's it. That is, I've never thought of it that way. That's incredible. I think, so I want to ask you two follow-up questions, but I want to get, take a moment to acknowledge Brit because she is an amazing human obviously had a huge hand in getting you where you are with Oliver and has had a huge impact on me as well. And the beauty in working with her is that she has the perfect touch at all times. I don't know how she does it, but she's just special. She is special. And if if you need to be consoled and comforted, she does that. If you need to be ripped out of whatever situation you're in and given a truth bomb, she does that too, but she does it in a way that still feels like love. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I just want to acknowledge that our, you one of the power of connections that you've given me was connecting me to Brit, and she's just amazing. So the second thing I wanted to go back to is how old were you when you started birth control? Um, I think I was 18 years old, and Spencer and I had been dating for probably about a year at that point, and I just was like, I've seen so many mess ups and I knew that we were going to be together for a long time. And I just was like, I don't want there to be a mess up in my life. And so 18 to, I stopped at 27. Okay. So I was 15 when I started control and it originally came from severe PMS symptoms was what I originally put on it. And I was on it for over a decade. I mean, I think I got off of it in, I think I was maybe 26. 26 or 27. And when I came off of birth control, it was like a cloud had been lifted from my life. I I didn't know that it was affecting me in the way it was, but it was an impact. Because you learn to just function that way. And it's so unfortunate that like, there is not more conversation around like the detriment that birth control is. Yeah. How messed up is that? You just learn to function with mood swings and side effects that you don't realize are from birth control. And then you can make all kinds of lifestyle changes and still feel like shit. Yeah. And you don't know why. And it's because you're have a birth control pill that maybe is trying to help you not get pregnant. (laughs) Like how do women win? (laughs) No, we don't, we don't. And we need to start putting this focus toward men because I feel like they're a lot easier to attack. (laughs) Like get it off of us for a minute. <laughs> Men need to fix this problem. Take some ownership of the problem. <laughs> I mean, like everything is literally like for all birth control, almost all of it, it is like women oriented. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's, it's a fictional show, but there's a show on Netflix, uh, working moms. Have you watched that? I, I, okay. I got through like three episodes and then I think I was a month into having Oliver and I was like, this is terrifying. I can't watch this show. If this is going to be my life. And then I just went down the spiral and I was like, maybe I'll come back to this in like three years when I'm emotionally adjusted as a mother and can think this is funny. So their characters are a shit show in the beginning of the show for sure. So I can see why you had that reaction later on one of the characters has like a branding agency or something. And she starts working with someone who's developing a male birth control and they're trying to figure out how to sell it, trying to get it to resonate with men. It's not successful. And then eventually she's like, oh, we need to target this to women. We need to get the women on board with this male birth control. So they'll push it on the men. So even when it comes back to the men, they're relying on the woman as the vehicle to get there. (laughs) 
true because we're like, hey, we took the brunt of it for the last like three decades of destroying our bodies. Your turn. Oh, so anyway, so I love that. And thank you for sharing that journey. I know that was um, a life changing experience for you. And I remember when you first started working with Brit and we were planning our monthly outings, you're like, I'm not really drinking. Is that okay? And I was like, I don't care. Yeah. And we tried to find places we could go for happy hour, but not have alcohol and yeah. obviously all very much paid off. And I'm in this, I'm literally in the same boat right now. <laughs> I know. And it's so weird because transitioning from working with Brit and not drinking to then getting pregnant. I didn't really drink at all in 2022. And then we, I had a couple glasses when we talked about this, but like bringing alcohol back into my life after that long of being disconnected and also being so in tune into like how my body reacted to things. Now I was just like, this is not worth the, the one evening of whatever I'm going to feel from this. And so like Spencer and I actually decided outside of maybe like two or three times a year, like we just don't drink anymore. It's not worth Love the repercussions it. of it. I'm so happy the conversation segued to this topic because it's also another really important topic that I know we've been discussing a lot and I've had the same experience and I've decided I'm probably only going to be drinking a handful of times a year as well, two to four. Our vacation is one of them, you know. Friends vacation is, is hopefully one of them. So right now I haven't had any alcohol since April, early April. So it's been two months yeah. and I don't have any, I'm going to a wedding in July and I'm going on a trip in August and I'm not going to drink in those scenarios. So if I'm going to drink, the next opportunity really is Burns. And I've been thinking about it. And I think I'll have, if I'm going to drink, which I'm not deciding yet that I am, but if I'm going to drink, I'm going to prioritize a cosmopolitan okay. at the hotel, because I think it's better at the hotel and an espresso martini at Burns. Okay. The two things that if I'm going to drink, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> All right. I, coming from somebody who couldn't drink our last Burns <laughs> staycation because she was in her third trimester. Pause. <laughs> um, we have to recognize that you went on our annual staycation trip, which is a food and alcohol festival, basically, <laughs> in your third <laughs> trimester. And Hung in there like a champ the entire time. And we had like a 10 p.m. reservation. Oh my God, it was so rough. I just remember I was like so tired and grumpy by that point. And I had saved, because you're only allowed to have so much caffeine when you're pregnant. I had saved all of my caffeine intake for a espresso martini mocktail that they totally butchered. But I was just like about to fall asleep while we were waiting in that waiting room because it was also like, I mean, they were just starting to get things back into the groove. I don't remember what happened, but there was something where maybe I think they were short staffed. We didn't get seated for like 30 minutes. Our table, I think our table was occupied way longer than it should have been or something. Yeah. Instead of just giving us a different table, they were very specific that we were getting that one. Yeah. And on top of that, it was 10 o'clock at night and we had been hanging out all day, partying all day. So we were all tired and we were not on the same level as everybody else in that bar because we were waiting in the bar area yeah. and people were, it was like a Saturday night. They were having a good time. The four of us were not, we were ready for food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember scaring that hostess a little bit. The Sicilian side of me came out that night. It's okay. It was necessary. I wasn't going to do it. Colin wasn't going to do it. And Spencer definitely wasn't going to do it. <laughs> no, no. So 
big pregnant me walks up to the host stand and I'm like, we need to be seated now. This is ridiculous. And for that conversation, what we got like four free appetizers. We got like yeah. a bunch of stuff. So you saved all of your caffeine intake for a mocktail espresso martini. And how did that turn out for you? They brought, what did they bring me? They brought me like a extremely milked down espresso thing and like that beer like glass that had so much foam on it and I just remember looking at him and I'm like this is not a mocktail espresso martini like I literally want you to just fake it to me put it in a in a martini glass pretty much a shot of espresso with maybe a little shot of vanilla for some flavoring I was like I just want straight Espresso. Give me something that I can drink out of a fancy glass. Right. The glass is what it's all about. Glass is what it's all about. I'm like, I just need to lie to myself here right now. That's what I need. And he did not not get that message when he brought me whatever that thing was. He did not. But this was also the trip where we sat in the same room as Stanley Tucci. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the weirdest Burns experience we ever had, honestly. And that was also the... Burns vacation where I'm pretty sure you sent our husbands into the bathroom to try and stalk him. Yes. Well, Owen offered first. He said, do you want me to follow him? And I was like, no, don't follow him. And then I was like, wait, yes, go and stalk him and get a video of him saying, gird your loins. (laughs) And then they did, but they didn't find him. (laughs) They did not find him. There had to have been some back exit that they went out of. I mean, Stanley Tucci, probably. <laughs> probably, probably, but it's always so fun. But I will say going back to drinking, like it, the food pairs so much better with like the wine and all of those things. Like I really oh. did feel like a key part of the experience was heavily missed and not being able to drink at that event. Well, I missed a big part of the experience by you not being able to drink because you always pick the wine. And do you remember I tried to pick the wine and could not decide and did not like anything that I was tasting? Yeah, I do remember that. I'm not, I don't pick the wine. That's not my role in the group. (laughs) I don't know how I got to be the wine picker. All of a sudden I feel like you just drink and people are like, you have such a sophisticated palate. And you're like, is that a compliment or am I on the verge of being an alcoholic? (laughs) So if you, if we, if I drink at Burns this year, those two martinis, and then if you end up picking a bottle of wine, I might have one glass of that. See, now we've just spiraled into three drinks. (laughs) Hey, three drinks is a lot better than what we've done prior. It is. So Britt, sorry in advance if you're listening. (laughs) I promise not to have the cognac flights with Colin in the dessert room to top it off. Right. Or the boozy milkshakes or the poolside mojitos and all of that stuff we would normally have. (laughs) This will be, this will be probably our most other than last year, which I don't know if I would describe last year as tame, but I would say this year will probably be our most tame Burns vacation. For sure. For sure. (laughs) Oh, so thank you for coming on here. This was really fun and I'm glad that I could share kind of my relationship with you, with everybody else who's listening. Um, I always have a lot of fun in our conversations and appreciate the authenticity that comes with them. So before we sign off, I want to go through some rapid fire questions. It's just five questions, all coffee related, super quick. Um, So first one is hot or iced coffee? I'm going to go hot, oddly enough. It used to be iced, but now I'm a hot person. 
you're the first person so far that has said hot. So tell me why hot coffee. <laughs> Mainly because I have my pot of coffee that is set and ready to go. Spencer turns it into hot coffee, which it just tastes like really watered down iced coffee. Um, but I just really love a good cozy cup of coffee as I'm sitting here and slowly drinking it. And I think it paces my caffeine intake. I can chug an iced coffee That's or true. I slowly drink a hot coffee. So it, it extends it longer. That is true. What mug are you using right now? I am using a glass mug that has a little mountain etched on it and it says I love you to the mountains and back oh that's so cute because you got married in the mountains yeah I love it I'm using one that says sip slow and carry on there you go (laughs) hot coffee (laughs) very good so what's your go-to coffee order currently oh honestly probably just a um well, if I'm out and about, it depends on the coffee shop, honestly, like, which is odd. Like if it's Buddy Brew, I get a iced latte with almond milk. If it's Starbucks, I get, I get a lot of lattes. Um, and then I mix between like oat milk, almond milk, and regular <laughs> milk. I'm not, I'm not a committed milk person. Okay. So when I ask you milk or milk alternative, it depends. It depends. And obviously it, it depends. I would say like my favorite one, like there's this restaurant we go to called Somi in Tampa and it's Greek and they have a baklava latte and with their oat milk, which is so creamy. It is just like the greatest concoction ever. Uh, so yeah, but it depends. That sounds so good. Oat milk is, I've been newly trying oat milk and it is just a different experience than almond milk or cow's milk or any other kind of milk so far it's much creamier it's a little bit heavier which is richer it's good yep it's really good and you're like this is oats like this isn't this is wonderful so I would say if I had like if you made me pick a milk it would probably be oat milk okay and what is your favorite local coffee spot uh buddy brew buddy brew good one and starbucks or duncan I'm going to have to go Starbucks. I'm so glad that everybody I've interviewed is a Starbucks person. I definitely surround myself with the right people. Yeah. I just, there's such better options. Like anytime I get a Dunkin' Donuts order, I'm never fully satisfied. Like I don't drink it and go, oh, this is hitting the craving exactly where it should be. It's like, there's just slight disappointment every time. And everything on their menu is so sweet. So sweet. I custom, if I do Dunkin', I have to custom order it because you can actually choose how many sweeteners get added and how much milk. So Mm -hmm. if you just order their default, it's way too much creamer and it's way too much sweeteners. Right. I, the only thing I order at Dunkin' is black coffee. The only thing. (laughs) Black coffee. Give it to me black. And the only reason I ever go there is because there's a Dunkin' right next to the nail salon I go to. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if I want a hot drink in my hand while I'm getting a, a nail, a pedicure or something, yeah. which is pretty rare in itself, I will go to Dunkin' to get the black coffee. But other than that, it's always Starbucks. I will say, I mean, Dunkin' doesn't have an, a bad iced coffee though. Like if you can right. control what, how much creamer and the sweetener you put into it, it is pretty good. But, and like, I don't know what it is about Starbucks iced coffee, but that thing makes me shake. There's so much caffeine in there. Yeah. Coffee. yeah. I, I prefer the Americanos from Starbucks. They're just so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that is it on the rapid fire question. Thank you for coming on. I love you. And I appreciate your friendship. 
Yes, love you too, and I appreciate you too. With a little bit of love and a whole lot of you. With a little bit of love.